So a lot of people are covered in shame. It's like, oh, yeah, that selfishness is really ugly and I, I shouldn't be that. And no, 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 it's all good. Let's just work with that. And it's this constant, who am I? There has to be a humility involved. You can't get to the humility required, I don't think. And the best people are very, very humble people, really. You can't get there unless you go into your truth. Who are you? Otherwise, it's just more ego, more noise, more knowledge, more books, more solutions. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Drew Broadman, a former professional footballer who's played over 540 appearances for 21 different clubs spanning a career of 17 years. Now, Drew was an exceptional athlete. From an early age, he was living his dream, playing professional sports. He was noted to be a potential future England player. Everything was ahead of him, and yet he faced many struggles, ultimately ending up in rehab. Today, he's the fear coach, helping executives, leaders, and high-performance athletes reach their maximum potential, leading with his story of understanding who people are, themselves, and authenticity. This podcast is one of the most fascinating I've had in a long time in the search of truth about knowing who I am. I'm sure you're going to be inspired by what he has to share from his own personal journey, as well as the tables and techniques that can help you get to a similar place. But before we dive into what he's doing today, let's talk a little bit about where it all started for him. I was 33 years of age. I was sat in an emotional and rehab addiction clinic in the middle of a forest. There was four guys in it at any one time, all athletes, did different sports, 30 days there. And it was the first night and I was in the back bedroom of this old cottage and where we were going to be there for the month. And we were told by the head therapist to sit in our rooms for an hour now and pen and paper. And he just wanted to write on our current state of unmanageability or where our life is, um, family career finances and then the next morning we would assemble at 6 30 a.m in the lounge for the start of this journey and we'd just present to each other and this is where i'm at this is who i am this is where i'm at and i never forget pen and paper sitting there i started with career underlined it okay where am i at well at 17 years a professional footballer about 21 employers and the last call with my agent last week was no one will touch you anymore there is no contracts left nothing a couple of weeks before so that was kind of like okay and then next one family well my wife's asked me to leave the marital home she doesn't want to be with me anymore and i've got a six-month-old daughter and that door was shut so that's finished and then finances and i was like i owe about 75 grand i've got no job i've got, got nothing no house i remember putting a full stop down and just sitting there i think that was probably <laughs> what it was it was the first time i would ever probably sat with that level of truth and I remember an overwhelming sense of peace washed through me, almost a feeling of, you're now ready. This is it. There is no more running. You can't outfight this, outwork this, because no one would outwork me. I'd, I'd outwork fear, no problem. I could outrun, outfight, outwork, outdiscipline, outKPI anything. It's not working anymore. That was a profound moment because it was a moment of complete surrender to everything, really. I think at that moment, nothing's working. 
it's interesting to hear you describe it. You're there alone with your thoughts on a blank piece of paper and like writing stuff down. But it sounds like there's a whole load of things that got you to that place. You talk about truth seeking, right? It's a huge part of entrepreneurial journeys, seeking the truth. A lot, of, a lot of people don't want to seek the truth. They want people to tell them their product's beautiful. It works great. It's amazing, but it sucks. And just like people, as you're describing yourself, we know we create a facade of who we are and how perfect our life is. And yet we all know the truth is that there's a lot of tough moments lurking there. Getting to honesty, both with yourself or whatever the discipline is that you're thinking about, is a real hard practice. So what happened? What happened after that moment? What was the meeting like the next morning or what was the next the next moment for you? I think that sense of peace washed through me. It was like, you're exactly where you need to be. And it was a feeling of you're finally ready. Because I always knew I had something powerful inside me. I think my biggest gift is my, well, two things. Like I know who I am today. I can answer that under five seconds, who I am. I'm a very driven individual. I'm a winner. And the other side is I'm a very, very emotional, sensitive man. That's who I am. Anything else I don't know about, that's who I am. That's what I realized because it was a complete ego collapse. Everything external, materialistic was taken. So it was like, okay, well, you're going to sit with yourself and you're going to find out who you are. The next 30 days was ups and downs and it was tough, but you're just unpacking where I got lost. Where's the player who, who was destined to be play for England and, and have a top, top career? Where did that guy go? In the business terms, it would be you, you had the ability to scale a, a monster company, like had that all of that ability as a leader. And then you end up flip flopping around a load of startups for 17 years, not breaking 500 grand turnover. That, that's what it is. And the pain of that, because internally, you always know your highest level. And then there's moments throughout the 17 years when highly decorated, experienced, super experienced, ex England internationals ex-stars who have then become coaches and managers would look at me sometimes on the training ground, what are you doing at this level? Like you'd study an animal in the zoo. They'd look at me, you're six foot three, you're powerful, you're a great athlete, you're technically really good, your attitude's incredible, you're the first in luck, like tick, 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 tick. Yet your performance, it's like four out of 10. And so, you know, what I realized in that rehab center is my gift is my curse, my desire to win, my desire to just be the best me every single day and achieve massive things was the biggest curse. I had no idea how to manage that. It was never the external pressure. It was never the fans and media. It was never any of that. It was me. It was me. I don't want to play. And sometimes I'd rather die than not be nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 every single day. There's no point otherwise. I'm not playing. I'm the three-year-old. I'm not playing. And with a four-year-old son now, I smile because I watched him when he was two over my wife and he was trying to put a little block in a truck and I could see him trying to get this hexagon in a triangle. And he tried for about a minute and then he picked the truck up and launched it off the wall and it left a dent in the wall and he sprinted around the house up and down. And I smiled. I said, if you weren't enlightened, you'd say that's a tantrum. He cannot accept, his soul cannot accept that he can't do that. So now he's going to wreck the whole thing. I love that. I think that's an exceptional mindset. Navigating that, managing that, living with that, owning that, it's tough, but I think it's a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the most talented, gifted people, they have exception in these different areas. Amazing focus, amazing drive. Like I see it in entrepreneurs that I get a chance to work with all the time. But you said something very interesting there about this idea of not necessarily managing, but refining it, becoming aware of it. 
that is a lifelong discipline. As you say, your story has peaks and troughs to it of going through that experience. So this show is all often about unlearning. And I talk a lot about, you know, unlearning is realizing that there's some behaviors that actually can lead to massive success, but they also can limit us too as well, which is why I'm so excited to have you on the show and to talk about this, your own experience and, you know, how you continue to help people today through coaching and so forth for leaders who want to achieve high performance. Tell us for yourself, like, as you start to think about some of the things you had to unlearn through that process, what has allowed you now, if you will, to come out the other side, what were some of the things that sort of struck you that maybe as you look back on it, were sort of giving you success to a certain point then became limiting and actually affected your performance? The unlearning, the unpacking was everything. Unlearn everything. You know, I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson and his work. And if you look at the great religious stories that prop up all our societies, and I'm not affiliated to any particular religion, but if you look at the story of Buddhism, let's say, and the Buddha sits under a tree for 40 days on 40 nights, that's basically why there's big gold statues everywhere. People walk around going, I'm a Buddha. He sat under a tree for 40 days and 40 nights with very little food and water to just about take him to the point of death, to collapse everything he knew, basically, to collapse the whole ego and leave him with himself. That is Buddhism, <laughs> a key. I think people like Tiger Woods, the highest performing individuals, there wasn't a coincidence, Buddhist mother, military father, what incredible nurture. One guy's driving and driving and driving and driving and discipline up, we're out, we're ta- everything all in. And then you've got this Buddhist mother who's all about letting go and acceptance. And when he walked that line for 10 years, he was untouchable, but it's a hard line to walk. So I think the unlearning is every day. I try to unlearn everything. I've got loads of books behind me. I smile now. I don't read books. There's nothing to read. There's nothing to learn. I get very skeptical. I've got this, I had a coaching client the other day, a business owner was talking to me. He said, within 15 minutes, he'd give me five books. He'd do this one and this one. And I just sat and listened. I said, why are we on a call then? And he said to me, what do you mean? I said, well, you, you got all your books. The answers are all in there, right? And, <laughs> and I, there's nothing really to learn. It's like, well, who am I? You get to a point where the learning's done. Of course, there's stuff to learn on the way up. And I understand in business, there's things to learn. You know, I've been at one business for five years now as company coach. I dip in and out of working with other owners. Every single one of them has everything it takes inside of them to be a great leader. The problem is they've allowed external noise, wives, pressure. I sit huge when I'm coaching people. I had this conversation yesterday. You cannot underestimate the amount of men I've seen lose themselves. Strong men lose themselves through the marriage, the most intimate relationship they'll have. And as a leader, you've got to be maximum risk. Brenny Brown, who's a thought leader in all of this space, said high performance, real high performance is risk, emotional exposure, and uncertainty. Complete comfort with all of those. Uncertainty. No idea what's going to happen. Absolutely emotionally exposed every day and full throttle risk. I see the great football coaches, Guardiola. That's all they are. It's all in everywhere. I think a lot of people have that, but they lose it because it takes so much courage to stay in that. You miss a couple of quarters, the bank's closing in, external noise, chief financial officer, we've got to cut here. And no, 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 we're not. We'll be doubling down. We're hiring five more this month. That's the difference. It's why I think my company, even though I'm the fear coach, I created a company a year or so ago called Sweat and Courage because my leadership course, eight weeks, is called sweat and courage, because that's the philosophy I live by. That's it. Who am I? Well, I'm a very hardworking individual. Let's have some courage. 
everything else. I don't want to know about anything else. 24 hours at a time. Have I been courageous today? Have I risked every single client I've got? I risk every client I've got every day. I work at a football club here in the UK and it's a big club. And my job is to work with players. I'm left in the training center one day a week and I just kind of go around and sit in the locker room and go for a walk with one of them after, after they're coming off the field. And I sit with the head coach as well and I work with him. It's just, who are you? What do you want to do? Why have you listened to that person? The leader has to stay strong. He has to stay who he is. And that probably means confrontation. I think if you're going to be authentic, I've had four or five big confrontations this week and I'm not a confrontational guy at all. I'm a very peaceful guy. But if I believe in something, just I'm not moving off that and I walk away. Because that moment in rehab, Barry, that moment, if there was one reason I was there, it was loss of self. I'd lost myself. That's the only reason I'm there. I love hearing this notion of uncertainty, risk, taking risk, showing up. You know, as someone who's building not only just a startup, but a startup of startups with our venture studio, every day I'm waking up facing the fear, facing the reality, facing some hard truths that I've got to deal with to just try and build our studio. But the fascination about building a studio is there's startups within the studio where there's founders who are going through that too as well. Part of the collaboration, if you will, is that I've got to be there when they're having those moments to encourage them, even though sitting on my shoulder is the exact same whispers going in my ear, like, hang on a sec, this is uncertain. That mightn't work out. Are we able to get enough funding to keep this thing ticking over? What if that startup doesn't work out in a certain amount of time? What if we don't get the right hire? Maybe this thing's going to blow up. And to this point, you've got to be all into it. It is hard to show up like that every day. And yet it's such an important part of the process of doing this. It's not that I don't think, as you say, people aren't talented or can't do this, but there's a certain type of part of the process that you have to recognize that that's what it's going to be like every day. And can you stick with it? Can you hold on till the next break? Can you find ways to keep pushing through? I think it's really easy for me to come from 30 years in professional sport and I'm still in it. I've been out and worked with the US national team. I work with the athletes at Cornell University in the States. I'm back and forward to Cornell working football and baseball, ice hockey. I've got two or three coaches who work under me at Sweat and Courage. But the real issue for me is Everywhere we see, if we're a young guy or we're even senior business guys, if we look at all the information that comes from social media, there's some great stuff, there's some inspirational stuff. All I see is about working harder, getting up at 3 a.m. It's like this badge of honor. Get up at four, get up at two. And it's just bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. And I'll pull that myth down anywhere because I lived it. It doesn't work. Yes, sweat. Yes, you have to work really hard. Of course, we know we have to do that. And when it's a passion, it's Right? But it's the courage that people don't talk about. It's all more grunt, more grit, more graft, more grind, more hustle. Okay. But beyond that, the courage piece, the courage to stay who you are, stay who you are and keep doing it. And that's the difference with all the top footballers and athletes that I see. The single difference. They all work the same, really. You can see all their gym routines on YouTube. You want to look at Cristiano Ronaldo, you want to look at Kobe, Jordan. You can see what they do. But courage is different. No one talks about that. So how can we help people there? I think it's easy coming from pro sport to business. I don't think you can go from business to pro sports. It's too brutal. I've never seen a CEO goes into a, an academy at the age of eight. And here in the UK, you're in at eight. 
eight years of age, you're in. You're in four nights a week, every weekend, every quarter you're assessed, you're kept for another quarter from eight years of age. Then everybody at school knows you're the kid at the such and such a clubs. That's on at eight years of age. Then you leave home at 16, 17. Now you're in the big fish pond. You're in pro sport now at 16, away from home, 17. Well, now there's kids from Buenos Aires who want to snap your leg and take your wages off your table. So you now got a kid from Brazil or Argentina. Everything's lived out in a glass bowl. It's all public. So every mistake you make, everybody can see. Parents can see it. All they want to do, your mum wants to rescue you. Oh, you'll be okay. It's the coach's fault, honey. No, it's fucking not. It's your fault. Let's go again. So it's like football and pro sports, so brutal. And I've said this to business owners, and you can see at the start, ego. And then you take them to a game, and I've done this a few times, and you're sitting in this big stadium, and I said, look at the coach there in the technical area. He's there. 60,000 people booing, hissing, spitting. He's going to get nailed straight after losing the biggest pitch. He's got to go straight in front of the media and tell him all his mistakes. And he's got to do that three times a week. And you're never home. And so it's not an ego thing. I think that's really enabled me to come into business. And I've got two businesses, so I get it. And I've got one that's scaling. So I, I understand it. I have to accept the overwhelming fear every single day. Crippling fear. Great stuff. You wake up, get accountable. What's going on here? Okay. Kids, mortgages, wife, she certain needs there. Bang, into business. What's going on here? We're down there, losing money there, invoices missed there. Okay, let's go into that. Next one. And you can't hide without disciplined, emotional routine to keep you in the self, who you are, in courage. How the hell do you do it? Because if you're not centering yourself and just spending time to ground yourself, collapse the ego, sit with the fear, really sit with it. There's a dangerous movement in psychology of positive psychology. It's really dangerous. And I've seen it in the schools and my kids. I've fought it. I've sent emails into the headmaster. Please, let's stop this bullshit. There's nothing positive here. Jordan Peterson says to get what you most want to get is where you least want to look. It's a story of dragons and gold, that the gold lives under the dragon. There's a reason. And everyone wants to just go, come on, be positive. Another day. No, don't be positive. Be truthful. What's going on here? I'm fucking terrified. I don't know if we're going to do it. We have to go in there and sit there with someone who can walk us through that. And okay, because otherwise, if we go one day, two days, three days, four days without unpacking that, then the resentments build, then the fears build. Now, as a leader, you start, you're snappier, you're leaning into KPIs. If you want to see fear play out, it really only plays out in one big way for a leader is over control every time. Yeah, it's fascinating again to hear you describe that fear, stress, anxiety, how that often shows up, especially in. The entrepreneurial world, I find, is when you say you don't have control or you don't take action. That's one of the things I often feel where trying to help people when they're in these moments, because everyone faces this. I face fear, anxieties all the time. I wake up with them every day. There is that moment, as you're describing, of sitting with them, embracing them, recognizing that they are things that you're going to feel. But the magic step as you're sort of alluding to is, but then action has to happen. Because if action doesn't happen, they just continue to sit there and grow bigger and scarier, sort of compound upon themselves really. So how do you help people in your way, like work through that? That's a hard thing sometimes when people are stuck, when they're spinning, when the anxiety is overbearing, when the fear is uncertain, it's unknown. But getting people to 
take a first step, getting people to recognize that it's okay to feel what they're feeling, but then turn it into a place that they can actually own the situation, if you will, see what is true and make progress. What were some of the things you had to unlearn yourself as you were going through those processes? Everything to reveal who am I? Once you know who you are, truly who you are, and everyone does, it's just buried under layers of fear, resentment, stuff that other people have told them, career trauma, forget for a moment the trauma that happens for other people. I mean, I've had it with sales guys who come from cultures of 10 years of, you know, you can't share anything and you're living fight or flight every single day. And they come into an organization, which no, we're not like that here. We genuinely believe in supporting people. We genuinely believe, yes, we all have to perform. All of us from the cleaner to the CEO, we all have to perform, but you're going to get time here. We just want you to do, and they, however much they're told that it's like a wounded dog from a dog home. There's no trust for the owner because the trauma of I'm not safe. I'm not safe. It's a lot of work, but it's all about who you are. I believe in leading someone back to who they are through a series of questioning. Because once you know who you are, I've seen it with so many different people in different areas. I've sat with golfers who can't make cuts and tell me about being a young, well, when did you pick up a golf club? I was 12, I was playing soccer and then my dad was playing golf. So I started playing golf and, and by 14, I'm kind of off two and then 16 scratch. And I was in an England team. I says, whoa, whoa, whoa. so in four years of playing, you're in the national team. Yeah. And what were you good at? He said, I just used to feel, and they said, you see them, you start doing this with their hands. I used to, I'd feel it on impact. I could turn it. And I said, what do you do now? Now they're bogged down in stats, KPIs, track man, data, swing speed, launch angles. Rory McIlroy's guilty of that. That's why he can't get a major dump. He just bogged under all these stats. It's like, Rory, come on, man. Outside Tiger Woods, you're the most phenomenal thing that's ever come into the game. Where's the kid from Ireland chipping balls? As an Irish person, it breaks my heart. I'm like, come on, Rory. Yeah, well, it is, isn't it? And you see it playing out. And you're like, where's Rory McIlroy gone? And then you go, well, who is Rory? I look at him and go, you're a really talented, creative individual. So you create magic on a golf course. Your hands, you can do whatever you want with the golf ball. That's who you are. And you're competitive. Let's be competitive. So you have to build trust in that. And it's the trust that we all lose. Kids all have innate trust, don't they? That's why we love children. Innate trust. If I look at the best salespeople, they don't listen to people. They're beautifully selfish. And selfishness is a hell of a gift. If left unmanaged, if left to grow legs unconsciously, the same gift can turn really horrifically ugly. And you wouldn't want it anywhere near your sales team. But selfishness means drive. It means I'm going after this and I'm going to win and I'm going to achieve. What an awesome gift. So a lot of people are covered in shame. It's like, oh, yeah, that selfishness is really ugly and I, I shouldn't be that. And no, 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 it's all good. Let's just work with that. It's this constant, who am I? There has to be a humility involved. You can't get to the humility required, I don't think. And the best people are very, very humble people, really. You can't get there unless you go into your truth. Who are you? Otherwise, it's just more ego, more noise, more knowledge, more books, more solutions. But even when you track some of these points that you're making, right? Like you're sitting there in rehab with the piece of paper and the four simple questions, or as you're describing here, when you're working with people, you start by asking them a very simple, open questions of why did you get into this? What was it like? What did it feel like at the start? What were the things that came naturally to you? They're great reasons in a way, because they tie into 
you've mentioned a lot about childhood, like the naivety, the excitement, the willing to try things, the rapid experimentation with no judgment of yourself in a way. You sort of like hit on these types of notes for people when they are trying to discover or maybe often rediscover what initially ignited the passion for what they're doing. It's so, as you say, easy to fall into the trap of all the data that comes at you, the KPIs that you're responsible for, the people that are banking on you to come through so the company can make it through another payroll cycle or whatever the hell it is, which is so much noise, as you say, that can create a lot of pressure, anxiety, stress, all the things that actually inhibit action. How did you sort of work your way into this? As you say, your transition has been from a professional athlete to now helping other people, whether they're athletes or execs. What's some of the things that surprised you along the way as you made that transition into sort of a different focus about how you're helping people today? I think it's just the unconsciousness that's around everywhere. Just this overwhelming unconsciousness in people. And I mean, you're conscious, obviously, breathing, but being so, again, who am I? A very driven individual. I'm a winner, but I'm very sensitive. That was a hell of a burden to carry as a footballer because I'm one start, one part of me is the alpha male ready to go to war, and the other part of me is crying at Disney and feeling everything. But that means I feel everything. If you look at empathy as a tool, empathy from the Greek origins, empathos, which means in feeling, we have to be in our feelings. The world is not about being in your feelings. It's the opposite of that, and certainly for men. I look at my son. I went to drop him off at school the other morning, and he's just started this September, and teacher, Harrison's dad, I went, yeah, yeah. Did you go to America in, in half term? I said, no, we went to <laughs> North England in a cottage, but I've been a few times in the last couple of months, and I said, what, why is that? We were doing stories about half term, and, and your son, Harrison, told an incredible story about where you guys went in America. And I looked at him, I said, brilliant, Harrison. That's amazing, man. Like, you've created a story. And he went, yeah, yeah. And she went, but we can't lie, Harrison. And she looked at him really sternly and looked up at her and said, that's not lying. And she went, oh, sorry, cool creativity. And that will be happening in my house. Or we take him out of the school. I don't know what you want to do here. There's two or three other parents with their head down. And I went, love you, buddy. Have a good day. Keep creating the stories. It kills me. And I say, to, because what I do for my job, I see how easily people get lost. How easy. Honestly, you cannot underestimate how easy people get lost. And it starts there. I think the two best coaches I think I've ever lived possibly to the current day is Earl Woods, Tiger's father, and Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena. They have not one coaching qualification between them. They've created three black athletes in a white man's game, both tennis and golf, and smashed it to pieces. And they run the game. That's phenomenal. And then you look at the six... What have the fathers tried to do? Keep them in themselves. That's it. And when Tiger lost himself, the wheels fall off, which I'm not judging. It's very easy to do. Venus and Serena have stayed there. But you look at Richard Williams, it's an unwavering, unwavering belief system that I'm not coming off this. This is the way. We're all in here. And I just see people, they have that, and then they start going, well, it might be this way and this way, and then this, I mean, this non-exec direct said he did this in his company, and this guy, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop, 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 stop. He might have done that. How emotionally healthy is he? How in tune is he with his journey? Sit in soccer, ex-players, non-exec directors, ex-players become coaches. They're all sick as dogs, most of the ex-coaches. are. Ex-players I know who are now coaches, I wouldn't let them anywhere near a team. They haven't unpacked any of their journey. They haven't gone through, 
Remember those 15 years where I was absolutely on my knees many days questioning. They haven't done any of that. They're just like, yeah, what I did is we did this and we did this and you've got to work harder. And hang on a minute. And some of them are my buddies now. I played with them and I look at them and think, wow. <laughs> and it's hard for me now because I'm so in tune with all my stuff. You sit with it. I'm like the scene as this, the football association here, the, the, the big global, the professional football association have just bought my education for a new degree in uh, emotional intelligence, leadership for football coaches. And I said to the guy, very innovative, fair play, they'd open a new business school. And he said, we want to bring you alongside the psychologist at Chelsea and Liverpool and we're bringing, I said, you are aware of my modules, right? And he said, yeah, yeah, I've looked at all your stuff. I said, but you've been working with so many of our members. We need to bring your education in. I said, yeah, but you are aware we're working through toxic shame and vulnerability and ego collapse. And we're not just doing resilience day and mental toughness, whatever the fuck that means. I mean, we're going to heal some shit here and we're going to lead some people back to their authenticity and they're going to fly because this works tough, Barry. It's tough. All right. Rehab is like, Drew, you're going to see where you got lost. You are going to see where you started to hand away what makes you you. It's fantastic to hear your perspective and your story on this. Like it's raw and it's real. I always sort of enjoy that with folks when, like you say, you're truth seeking. That is in itself like an experience. I think for many people, it's very hard. It's hard to go to those places. The easy option is to blame the circumstance, blame the other person, blame it was rainy that day, whatever works for you. But the hard part is always to look at yourself and say, what did I not do in the moment? What am I missing? What do I need to change about me ultimately? People don't know what that is a lot of the time. There was no one in the room I ever played in, in the locker room where, who was more self-searching than I was. I paid thousands for psychologists. I used to go and train at altitude for four weeks to drop my resting heart rate to 30 beats a minute. I did everything, everything to find myself. That's the brutal harshness of this. There's nothing to add just to reveal. <laughs> it's so beautifully simple, but it's so tough because we get bogged down under all this crap. <laughs> so were people trying to go, like they will listen to this show. Yeah. I'm sure they're going to be struck by it in all sorts of ways. What would be your advice for people to get started? What's the first thing that they could go learning about themselves to like really get to the heart of these things? I think it would be to take a piece of paper and write in the middle, who am I? And put a massive circle around it. Just sit with that and try and remember as a child or at the start of your business journey, if you don't have to go, like the way I can see my son now, he has to win stuff. Otherwise he gets really angry. So that's part of who he is. Going back and go, well, who am I? Do I really believe in all of this? Do I believe in all these structures and all? Who am I? And I think that question, it's hard to get there. Fear and resentment. I would look at fear and resentment and shame, toxic shame, because there's very few social circles I fit into, but I can navigate that. It's not a problem. I can play the game. But it, being really honest, when you really live high performance, which is high performance for me, the highest level of performance is authenticity 24-7. When you live that, the road narrows, people fall away. It's lonely. There's a quote I saw online the other day. Was, I feel at home when I'm sitting with warriors. And I thought, yeah, I'm at home when I'm sitting with owners of companies who are living it, not running away, feeling it all, 
not bogged down and making excuses. And, and athletes who are sitting there going, I got 24 hours, man. And if I don't play well tomorrow, I'm going to get thrown to the wolves. I'm done. I love sitting there. That level of truth, the level of humility, the level of vulnerability. And that's all children are. They're beautiful, honest. So who am I? Let's start looking at my fear. If you were to make a list of fears in the left side of the column, and then you work across the page, let's say, I'm scared of the business going under. Let's start there. Where am I selfish? Well, I don't want it to go under. Where am I dishonest? Haven't got a clue. Because we get dishonest. Like, you genuinely think you can stop it going under. You can't. Oh, yeah. I'm guilty of this to tell the stuff, the stories I want to hear, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And at the end of that, once you see this list of fears, the list of the selfish, I want, I want, I don't want, I want. You're the three-year-old. I don't want that. I want, I want. And then you go, well, I don't know. And this is where I got to sweat and courage. I know if I give all of myself. I know if I have the courage to constantly lean in as best I can to be authentic, not to overpromise, not to oversell. Like, just be honest with people and watch what happens. The transformation I have seen and been blessed to have been part of when leaders start being vulnerable and drop the bullshit and sit with a major client who has the ability and the sign-off to change a huge area of their business life and personal life with the chit-chat before you get into it over a meal or whatever, start to drop the guard and go, yeah, it's been a tough journey for me. And sharing the truth a little, not straight in there, but you watch how it unfolds. And before you know it, you're talking about two divorces and the pain. And that's where I start. Someone said to me the other day, how long does it take to unlock someone, Drew? I said, under 10 minutes. He said, under 10 minutes? Yeah, because they said, what do you do? I said, just absolutely destroy myself for about six and a half. I said, what? They're just going, shit, it's all in SoCal. I said, oh, it's all okay. I said, you know, you're normalizing it all, right? And all of a sudden, this guy who's got the big sign-offs going, I'm actually fucked as well. I'm right <laughs> up against it. No, yeah, it's so beautifully refreshing. And, and the ones who aren't, well, they're not meant to be there anyway. Right out, right out. I sat in a sales meeting the other morning really quickly at the back, just observing energy and just taking notes. Okay, I might want to pick up on that. And, and it was talked about, we have enough incredible relationships now globally to start asking for help. Asking for help is the hardest thing in the world. I mean, try it with your wife. I mean, I really struggle. For me to say to my wife, can you help me with my ego? That's tough. So we need to start leaning into our incredible relationships and saying, look, is there anything you can help me? I need a favor here. I need a a leg up or an intro or, and everyone went, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And anyway, at the end, anyone got anything to say? And I said, can I chime in? And so I said, can we just unpack the nature of asking somebody for a favor and how tough that is emotionally? You're in there and you're in the meeting, you're an hour and you still not ask the question and it's so terrifying. And unless we talk about that fear, when it comes to the next time, you're not going to get through it. Whereas if you go, look, we need to start doing this as an organization a bit better. But fear is the block, guys. And can we beat fear today? Go and just do it today. Just do one thing today. And it's, see what I mean, Barry? You're just trying to bring the emotional area of performance into strategy. I love it, Trillian. And I love that we opened up with you painting the picture of yourself sitting in a room with a piece of paper in front of you. And I wrote a post-it here right in there that says, who am I? Right after this call, I'm going to sit down and do that exercise that you've been recommending. It's been fascinating to get your insights and just hear your passion and authenticity about your own journey. 
what matters to you and who you are. It's always refreshing for me, for people to just get right to it. <laughs> thanks for being you is all I can say. Thanks for sharing your story and your experience with the audience. I'm sure lots of people are going to reach out and want to learn and work with you and do different things together. So thank you very much for sharing all that. Thanks so much, Barry. Appreciate your time. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show, but I'm even more delighted to share the exciting news. I've recently co-founded a new venture studio named Nobody Studios. Now, Venture Studio is a vehicle for the rapid creation of new companies from ideation to acceleration and growth. And our purpose at Nobody Studios will be to de-risk pre-seed stage business ideas. We'll do this by minimizing the time, speed and capital involved in validating truly repeatable and scalable business models before any significant venture investment. We've an audacious goal to start 100 compelling companies over the next five years. And who knows how many beyond that? So if you're interested in radically changing the way work is done, how products are created, companies built and funded, even democratizing the wealth creation and how returns are distributed, this could be the business for you. We're looking for talent, capital and influence. If you wish to contribute any or all of these, just get in touch. You can follow us on nobodystudios.com, on our LinkedIn page, all the social media accounts, or simply my newsletters and what I'm sharing. We'll be launching a truly innovative crowdfunding campaign, and I'd be honored if you'd be willing to join us on this journey and become a nobody yourself. <laughs>